This morning we are in Philippians chapter 1 and beginning verses 27 down through verse number 30. We are finishing the chapter today. And as, as Larry even mentioned, uh, we don't have a, a nevertheless word or a therefore word, but we have a word that reminds us that we need to look before at what had just been said and as it starts off with the word only, uh, but uh, since we've already uh, covered those things, I'll just take a few moments after we read it to familiarize you with what was said earlier. Let's read God's Word together. Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 through 30. Hear the word of the Lord. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your words. We're thankful that we have Your thoughts and Your truths and Your revelation written down for us. And for centuries, Your people have had Your words to guide them and to, to rebuke us and to train us in righteousness. Lord, this morning as we come continuing worship, as we have sung and prayed, now we submit to the Word. We pray that as we hear and as we listen, we would not hear the words of men, but the words from You, Almighty God. We pray that we might understand what we hear, that we might believe and obey, that we might apply these to our lives. Be honored then in how we listen, how we hear the Word, as we're reminded in James, may we not only be hearers, but doers as well. May we honor you both in the hearing then and in the doing. May we, may we uh, magnify Christ in these ways. And it's in his name that we ask these things. Amen. Just to give you a quick summary of the things that have been happening up to this point, Paul has really gotten into the meat of his letter now to the Philippians. Everything up to this point was... Uh, an introduction was a uh, familiarizing them with his problems. And as we noticed the last few weeks, Paul would take his circumstances and quickly shift them in light of the gospel. He talks about himself, but not in order to get them to feel sorry for him, but rather to get them to see these circumstances through the gospel lens. Well, now as we get to verse 27, we have a, the first real command, the first real instruction that is uh, for the Philippian church. So after explaining what Paul would do in light of the Gospel, as we saw uh, verses 19-26 through 26, uh, specifically, Paul now instructs the Philippians as to what they must do. Now of course, all of the things that Paul has been doing, he wants the Philippians to do as well. But now we have this first instruction, this first imperative in, in, uh, in, for the Philippians in regard to the gospel and in their current situation. So uh, we, we, we're titling this just one thing because we have here just one main imperative followed by a description of that in three different ways 
And then, and then at the end, Paul offers two encouragements. So we can kind of see it as a what, how, and why, or we can see it as just one thing, three descriptions, and two encouragements. Look back at verse number 27, if you will, and we'll see this once again, this one thing. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. This is the main argument. This is the main thing that Paul wants to get across to the Philippians in this passage. One thing. Let your life be worthy of the Gospel of Christ. Paul has explained what he would do in light of the Gospel of Christ. Now he wants them to live in a certain way in regard to the Gospel of Christ. Different translations offer a different word for this. But it means the same thing. It's, it's the word only. or as, uh, Some say whatever happens or above all else, let your life be worthy of the Gospel of Christ. What, is the, what does that mean? Or what does that mean to live life worthy of the Gospel of Christ? Well, in, in, uh, literally what Paul says there about live your life means to live as citizens. To live like a citizen. It actually comes from the word that we get, our word politics. And, and it had to do with their citizenship. And there's some discussion and debate whether or not he was intending for them to, uh, for them to think about their life as citizens of Philippi or their life as citizens of heaven. And I think that we can marry the two together and, and understand what, what Paul is trying to get at. If you understand the early first century history Roman citizenship was a thing to be valued and prized. Uh, one of the, the, the Paul's Roman citizenship actually was, was uh, one of the earthly things that, that got him out of a lot of trouble, uh, that got him uh, an audience with Caesar. When he was beaten, uh, then found out that, that they had be- when the jailers and the, the magistrates found out that they had beaten a Roman citizen, they had to release him from prison quickly and quietly because. This was a valued thing. You just couldn't treat Roman citizens like commoners. Roman citizenship was a big deal, but heavenly citizenship is far greater. Paul talks about their citizenship in, over in chapter 3. I'd like for you to use your Bible some today. If you'd look over in chapter 3 and verse number 20, Paul talks about this heavenly citizenship that he says our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. I think that Paul here has both ideas in mind. As citizens of Philippi, but more than that, as citizens of heaven, as as believers in the body of Christ, you must live like where you come from. Live according to the standard of your citizenship. He's basically saying, you are citizens of heaven, so live like it. Don't act like you're citizens of a lesser country. Don't act like you're people of a lower standard. You are citizens of heaven. Therefore, conduct your daily life in Philippi as you are a citizen of heaven. As someone who is transformed by the Gospel of Christ. Show that what the Gospel we preach is the Gospel that you live. Show that it's worth living for worth living out. Show that what you believe is real. It's not just a a group of of things that you profess, but it's something that you actually believe. And, And the way that we show that we actually believe something is we live by it. We don't just say it. 
We believe it. We live it. The old uh, illustrations about uh, getting on the elevator, you really show that you believe in it when you get on it. You really show that you believe something when it moves you to action. And Paul is saying here, you profess to be followers of Christ. And great, and I'm glad for it, and I praise God for it. Now live like it. If we could just take just a few few seconds of an application here and think about those of us in the room today that profess to know Christ. Are we living like it? Does our behavior correspond to our profession? What you say you believe, you really live it out that way. And that's what Paul is getting at. That's the main thing. Just one thing, Philippians. Live in a manner that is worthy of the Gospel. You see, the Gospel is most impressive when people who say they believe it live like they really do. There are people out there who have heard the Gospel message, but they've been turned away from it in part because of the people who say they believe it live no differently than they do. It's just a fairy tale to them. It's just a fable because the people who supposedly have, have laid down their lives for it, no different than they are. Everything Paul has explained, everything that has happened, has happened for the advance of the Gospel. Verse number 12. So now Philippians must live worthy of that Gospel. Notice what he says there. Why he wants them to live lives worthy of the Gospel. Because he says, whatever happens to me, you've got to do this. Notice he says there in verse 23, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit. Because we don't know what God's plan is. As we looked at last week, Paul really wanted to come and see the Philippians, but he couldn't be sure that this was not the last stop for him. He couldn't be sure that he would, his deliverance would not mean deliverance through death and, in, and being ushered into the presence of the Lord. And since we cannot know, or Paul could not know, and the Philippians could not know what exactly was in the future for them, Paul says, whether I come and see you, or I simply hear about it from in prison, you must live this way. You must live in a life that is worthy of the Gospel. I want to see it for myself, but if I can't see it, I want to hear about it. That whether I'm with you, or whether I'm not with you, you're living a life that is worthy of the Gospel. Paul here reminds them of two things. First, of their uh, uh, responsibility. Paul reminds them that they are responsible because it must be this way with or without Paul. Their Christianity was not dependent on Paul's being there. Their Christianity had, had something was built on someone greater than the Apostle Paul. They were, there was a responsibility. As citizens of heaven, they were responsible to live lives worthy of the Gospel of Jesus. There's an individual responsibility here, but also a corporate responsibility. Each one of the church is, is responsible for living in a life that is worthy of the Gospel of Christ, but then as a whole, we are responsible as well to live in, in a manner that is worthy and honoring of the Gospel. Secondly, Paul reminds them of their accountability here, and I like this here, because though they, they should be responsible with or without Paul, Paul is reminding them that there is someone who's watching. And we're not just talking about the Lord, we're talking about Paul himself saying, Paul is saying, I'm holding you accountable to this. That's kind of what we do with church membership. We hold one another accountable to the things that God tells us to do. We, we keep each other encouraged 
Sometimes we put each other in check when we have stepped out of line a little bit. And we see here not only a responsibility, but an accountability. And it's not just because Paul expects it. But Paul says these things because God expects it. God expects us to live lives that are worthy of the Gospel of Christ. And the Philippians needed to realize, as do we, that we are accountable to God who is always with us. Even if our earthly leaders and earthly fathers and mentors and teachers are not among us. Then in verses 27 and 28, Paul gives three descriptions of what it means to live like the Gospel uh, like the gospel is worthy, or live worthy of the gospel of Christ. We could say that, all right, you need to live worthy of the gospel of Christ. And we're going to say, okay, we're going to do that. We're going to walk out of here and say, okay, now what do we do? How does that look like? What, 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 do, I need to, what do I need to do now to, to live worthy? Or is it just a, a platitude that you say uh, to, 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 to satisfy some need uh, to learn something? Well, Paul gives three, three uh, descriptions of it. First, he says, you need to stand firm. He says, so that whether I come and see you uh, or, or, or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit. Standing firm in one spirit. This means to be firmly committed to, 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 in, in their conviction or in their beliefs. It's, it's, it's a tenacity. It's a continuousness. It's a constancy. Paul is saying, keep going with or without me. Don't quit. When I was first looking at this, I was kind of thinking of a, of a military term of standing firm, you know, standing, standing tall and don't back down. But when, you, when, when I continue to look at it, he's just simply saying, don't quit. Now that I'm not with you, don't turn away like the Galatians did. When, when they, were, they were fine to believe and follow as long as Paul was there teaching them. But as soon as Paul had gone, you know, some other teachers came in and, and turned them away from the truth. And Paul was telling the Philippians, don't, don't quit. Stay with it. Stay, stay, continue with the Gospel. In one sense, the Philippians needed Paul. Back in verse 24, Paul said, it's more necessary for you that I remain. But in another greater sense, they did not need Paul to continue. He said one greater than Paul with them. They had a responsibility greater than to Paul. They had a responsibility to God. Paul says, stand firm. He says, not just to stand firm, but to stand firm in one spirit. Once again, we have this individual and corporate uh, uh, meaning here. Each one of us must stand firm and continue in the faith. Continue in the Gospel. But we also must do it as a church. There's a corporate responsibility. This is a united community. This is not just individuals standing for God. Individuals standing for the Gospel, but the church as a whole. Don't just keep going yourself. Don't just persevere yourself. But as a church... Endure, persevere together. And the reason that we have the church is so that we can help each other along. Because at any given time, there are those of us who are encouraged and ready and we're healthy and we're strong and we're ready to go forward. And there are others who are weak and hurting and doubting and tempted. And we need each other to pull each other up and help each other along. Bear each other's burdens. To live a life worthy of the Gospel is to continue in it without departure or wavering. Stand firm. If we truly believe the Gospel, and, let, and, and, and that's just a, 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 this is kind of step two, but really step one is believe the Gospel. But if we truly believe the Gospel, we will continue in the Gospel. 
We will not depart from it. Because if we truly understand what the Gospel is, we recognize that it's all we need. We will persevere through the Spirit's help. It's what we call the perseverance of the saints. Those who truly understand and believe in the Gospel will persevere to the end. Secondly, what does it mean to live a life worthy of the Gospel? He describes it as striving together. Striving side by side for the faith of the Gospel. Now we get to some action. Not just standing up, not just continuing in it, but now fighting. This is an active participation. This is contending, struggling. This is the, the word that would have been used to describe two wrestlers going at it. Uh, they're, they're, they're fighting with each other. They're grappling. We're not talking about the, the guys in the, in the silly costumes and, and jumping off the top rope. But the real wrestlers. You know, not the fake stuff. Natural Libre style kind of stuff. And, and the, 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 they're, they're grappling with each other. They're not giving in. They're not just quitting. They're not passive. They're actively trying to get the advantage and they're trying to accomplish the objective, uh, their victory uh, for, their, for their competition here. And that's what Paul is saying the Philippians need to do. You need to strive together. You need to, you need to contend with one mind, this, this united front. We all have the same mission. But notice as he says side by side, once again, we have this individual mindset. We have uh, paying attention to the individual responsibility, but then Paul gives some attention to the corporate responsibility. If you'll turn over back into Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to see this word used again when Paul talks about one of the only negative things in, in the letter to the Philippians is one of the few times is this situation with these two women, Euodia and uh, Syntyche. I don't know if that's how you say her name, but that's how I'm saying her name. And he says in verse number two, well, I'm sorry, back up to verse number one. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm, thus in the Lord, my beloved. So there's that stand firm again. It says, I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. They labored together. It's the same word. They contended. They strove together with Paul. But for some reason, there had been a break in unity. And instead of striving together, they were striving with each other. Instead of fighting side by side, they were fighting each other. Can you imagine being at war and, and, and knowing the enemy is over there and you're standing with your comrades in arms and all of a sudden, your brothers start fighting you. That's the wrong battle to be fighting. The bullets hurt just as badly. The, the, the sword plunged into your belly or into your back does just as much damage as if it were the enemy's and yet it accomplishes nothing. And that's what Paul is reminding them. We must actively participate in the advance of the Gospel and not be distracted by inner strife. By fighting with one another and forgetting the main objective, which is to advance the Gospel. There is an enemy out there. And there is a battle to be fought. And for a time at least, these two dear ladies that Paul had said, I love them and I want them to be to be." brought back into unity with one another before a time they had lost their perspective of the real enemy and fought each other instead. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 6 that we don't wrestle against 
flesh and blood, but against the powers and the principalities, the rulers of the darkness of this world. We're striving for the faith of the gospel. In Jude, verses 3 and 4, Jude writes this, Contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. There is a war out there. There is a battle to be fought, and it's a battle with false doctrine. It's a battle not with flesh and blood people, even though they may be the ones who are perpetuating it, but the battle is greater. It's a spiritual battle. And Paul is saying, like Jude is saying here, we must strive together for this. We must battle against this false doctrine. As, uh, as, as he says there, uh, the, the, the faith striving together uh, side by side with uh, one mind striving side by side for the faith of the Gospel. One writer described it like this, for the cause of the faith. We have a cause. The cause is our faith. And our cause is to spread it and grow it. So therefore, if we are to live a life that is worthy of the Gospel, that means that we are to actively participate in Gospel work. To fight the good fight of faith, Paul says. To labor in it. To not be distracted by the little petty arguments and fights that we might have with, our, with each other or even with other Gospel partners. Rather to know who our real enemy is and to know who, what the real fight is. Earnestly contend. Strive side by side for the faith of the Gospel. If we truly believe the Gospel, not only will we continue in it, but we will labor to advance it. Thirdly, Paul says stay calm. How do you live a life that is worthy of the Gospel? Keep calm. He says in verse number 28, not frightened in anything by your opponents. This word frightened is, is, or, or, or panicked or, or not afraid or intimidated, it's actually a word that is used outside of the Scripture in other, uh, when Greek is used to describe when a horse gets startled. You know, there's a lot of people in this room that know way more about horses than I do. Uh, so you know a lot more about what a, a startled horse can do. But I've seen a couple of John Wayne, and I know what happens with, uh, with a startled horse. It can hurt you, right? But you know that, that horse that's not battle-ready and it goes in. I read a story uh, this week is about a, a soldier that went into war and a horse got startled and the horse killed him. Not the enemy. And that's what Paul is saying here. Don't be that startled, frightened, stampeding horse. No, you go in and you face the opposition. You face the enemy. You stay calm. And we've all seen those shirts or those signs, keep calm and, right? We've seen it till ad nauseum, right? Do you know where it came from? Uh, back in 1939, I believe it was. Uh, let me find it here. Yeah, 1939, it was, it was British war propaganda uh, in, 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 to prepare the people for a potential or possible German invasion. They made these signs, these posters, to rally the, the, the people. One of them was, keep calm and carry on. And it had the crown, the British crown there. So that's why if you see it now, you'll see usually a crown with those, with those block letters, keep calm, and they'll do something else. But it was meant to inspire them. 
It was meant to, uh, to, to help them to, to stay calm, even though Hitler and his troops were just uh, on the other side of the river and, and they were going to come at any moment and they were worried about what might happen if, that hap- if, if, if the troops came. Keep calm. Stay calm. Stay the course. Keep calm and carry on. And that's what Paul is saying here. Keep calm. Fight. Strive together. Stand firm. Don't be intimidated by them. Sometimes we look at the enemy. We look at what's going on in the world around us and we think, oh my goodness, how can we, how can we win against that? How can we stand up against that? They're just going to plow us over. We're no match for them. Paul says, keep calm. Stand, stand firm. Strive together. Keep calm. If we're going to live a life that is worthy of the Gospel, that means we are going to stand up fearlessly, boldly, against the enemies of the Gospel. You, on your own, are no match. Sorry. Sorry to burst your bubble. We, as a whole, are no match. But our captain changes everything. The Lord Jesus Christ Greater is He that is in us than he that is in the world. And because of Him, we will be victorious. So stand firm. Strive together. And calm down. Martin Luther wrote that famous hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. We sang it last Sunday. The second or third verse, I can't, believe, I can't remember which one it is, says these words. Though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed His truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for Him. His rage we can endure, for lo, His doom is sure. One little word shall fail Him. The next verse goes on to say, that word above all earthly powers... No uh, thanks to Him abideth. And it goes on to, to describe what Christ will do on the last day. To live a life worthy of the Gospels. To stand calmly against the enemies. Therefore, if we truly believe the Gospel, we know that we have nothing to fear. Jesus said, Do not fear those who can only kill your body. Rather fear Him who can kill body and soul in hell. And We have come to know that He has forgiven us. And that we have no fear of hell. We have no fear of judgment for our Savior took that upon Himself. So therefore, as the psalmist says, what can man do to me? Now, just very quickly, let me, let's look at these last two encouragements here. Depending on how you divide them up, you could say that there are three encouragements here, but just for two encouragements for time's sake, verses 28-30. through 30. Now, he says in the middle of verse 28, this is a clear sign to them. What is this? Well, I think that this is everything that he's been saying up to this point. This, this standing firm, this striving together, maybe most specifically, this not being afraid, not being intimidated, this is a clear sign. And in fact, there are two signs. Clear signs. Now, what do signs do? Signs indicate something. Signs point you the way to something. What are the signs? You're standing firm. Our striving together. Our fearless boldness to stand before the enemy and not give in and not quit and not turn and run is a clear sign to them of their destruction. Notice what he says there. But of your salvation. Now Daniel read for us in, uh, in, in Acts chapter 5. And one of the reasons I wanted 
that, that passage to be read was because of what Gamaliel said, speaking of these apostles. And if you remember, you can turn back there to Acts 5.38 and you'll see it. He says, if this plan or if this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But it, if it is of God, you will not be able to overcome them. And then he says, you might even be found opposing God. Think about what he's saying there. He's saying, listen, to the council, he's saying, listen, let's give it some time. Some wise counsel there. Let's just see what happens because if it's of man, it's not going to last. And he gave a couple of examples. But he says, if it's of God, we are not going to overcome them. In fact, by attacking this thing that is of God, we are opposing God. These people then that, that Paul writes about, that Gamaliel is even referring to, are, are people who are not, in, really, in reality, they're not fighting us. They're fighting and rejecting God. When Jesus confronted Saul on the road to Damascus, Saul was persecuting the church. He was arresting them and putting them in prison and, and, and even uh, torturing and, and even maybe killing them. And what does Jesus say to him on the road? He says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You, when you persecute my church, you're persecuting me. Jesus said in John 15, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. I think that's why there's that instruction to keep calm. It's not if persecution comes, it's when. And when it comes, it's okay. If you fight against God, it's to face His judgment. That's why it's a sign of their destruction. In uh, 2 Thessalonians, if you want to turn over there, we have, we have some times. So if you'll turn over to 2 Thessalonians verse, uh, chapter 4, and I'll, let me read to you um, beginning in verse number 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 4. If you're in Philippians, you just turn... To the right, just a few books. Be careful because you'll go right past it if you are too grab too many pages. I'm sorry, I said 2 Thessalonians 4, and there is no such thing. And I, So I typed it out wrong. And I probably meant 1 Thessalonians because there is a 1 Thessalonians 4. That's why I tell you to use your Bibles. Because if, if you would just believe me, you would have walked out of here thinking there's a 2 Thessalonians 4. And uh, there's not. 2 Thessalonians 4 and verse number... Um, one is also not what I meant to have written down because I'm looking at what I printed. <laughs> we will, it, it's there, I promise you there. Uh, let me read what I have printed here um, and we'll find, it, we'll find it later. I promise this is in the Bible, okay? All right? If you find it, then um, you'll know. Uh, he says that we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Chapter 1, thank you very much. Philippians 
2 Thessalonians chapter 1. So go over there. Now you look. I knew someone would be looking. I was just about to ask. Thank you, sir. So notice, listen to again, just, I won't read all of that again, but look at verse number 5. This is evidence. Now, what is the evidence? Back up. The persecutions and the affliction that they're enduring. This is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God. Your persecution, your affliction, your suffering is their destruction. That you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. So it's not only a sign of their destruction, it is a sign of your salvation. One writer said this, their fearlessness will show their enemies that Christians are not fortified by merely human courage. And so to oppose them is to fight against God and to take the path that leads to destruction. That's the first encouragement. It's a sign of your salvation and their destruction. Second, second encouragement here is these are God's gifts. And just the moments that we have left, look back at Philippians chapter 1 and verse number 29. It has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, and that's a key phrase, for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. This word granted there means graciously given. It's not that God has just simply allowed it. But God has graciously given this. Now, we can wholeheartedly praise and thank God for the gift of faith. God has graciously given the, the ability to believe in His Son. That's why there's so many out there that do not believe. There's a gracious gift involved. But just as God grants belief, God also grants suffering. It's a little bit harder to swallow. We can praise God for the belief, for the faith, to believe in Christ. We sing songs about it. But when's the last time you heard a song that thanked God for the suffering that He brought into our lives? It's not as fun to sing about. It's not as fun to think about. Jesus said, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Daniel read for us Acts chapter 5, verse 41. It says that the apostles rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. It's a gift to suffer on Christ's behalf for His sake. It's a sign that you're on the right team. There's a war going on. And if the enemies of God are persecuting you, it means you're not on their side. If they're persecuting you for Christ's sake, it means you're on the right side. So suffering, therefore, should not be a surprise to us. Peter tells us, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test as if some strange thing were happening to you. But he says, rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. Paul will later write in chapter 3 that he wants to know Christ. And one of the ways he says, I want to know the fellowship Koinonia, the partnership of Christ's suffering. If we truly believe the gospel, then we will recognize that suffering in this life is temporary. It's only for this life. 
But suffering for the Christian is for the glory of God. Romans 8.18, we have this written on a chalkboard right in the back door of our house. We see it often. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So, Paul is getting into his letter. And he says, listen, after all the things that I've told you, there's one thing I need you to do. And it's not from me, it's from God. Live your life worthy of the gospel. You have believed it, now you must continue. You must strive together to advance it. You must count it a gracious gift to suffer for it. Faithfully continue in suffering for the gospel. Puts you in good company. As the Philippians would have read this and listened to it. They would have thought, as Paul finishes in verse number 30 there, it's the same conflict that I have. Puts them in good company because Paul, their teacher, their father in the faith, continues. He strives. He is bold. He suffers and rejoices in it. Our Savior continued. Suffered. Fights for us. Just as the Philippians must do this one thing, we also must live lives worthy of the Gospel. We must desire the advance of the Gospel and the Christ of this Gospel to be magnified, whether through life or through death. We must believe the Gospel and truly live as if we do believe it. We must continue in it, never swaying, being distracted or returning away. We must learn to strive together, united in our efforts to make Christ known. And we must learn to see suffering as God's gift and even rejoice in it. As Charles Spurgeon said, I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. Sinclair Ferguson also said this, and I, and I, I like this quote. I want to share it with you. Suffering is the friction which polishes our graces. Without it, we would be all the poor as reflectors of the image of His Son. Can we praise and thank God for the suffering that He brings into our lives? Can we consider it a gift, just as the gift of faith comes from Him? Let us live lives worthy of the gospel of Christ. Let's pray. As we spend time in responding through prayer to the Word, we ask, are you living life like you believe the Gospel? Let us pray for grace to behave according to our beliefs. We ask, do you really believe the Gospel? Have you truly believed that Christ is all? That Christ died for sinners? Christ's payment is completely necessary and completely sufficient to pay for sin. Pray then that you might truly understand. Ask God to give you that gift of belief. Are you striving this morning? Are you contending for the faith? Pray that God will unite us together. Do we have courage? Let's pray for boldness to stand for truth. 
will we rejoice in our suffering. We will suffer. There will be persecution. There will be difficult times. Will we rejoice? Will we stand and fight? Will we suffer for our Savior? Let us pray for the mindset that sees suffering as God's gift. Our Heavenly Father, thank you. First of all, for the gift of faith to believe in the gospel of Christ. We are no better, no wiser, no more intelligent than those who do not believe. You have graciously given us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts that believe. Without that, we would be lost in our sins. And so we have spent hours upon hours in, in, in church and in private praising you through song and through prayer for the gift of faith, for saving wretches like us. Lord, thank you for the gift of suffering, that which brings us close to you, that makes us partners with you, that reminds us that we are on your side, that you have brought us from death to life, from darkness to light. Thank you for your word that reminds us that though the enemy is dangerous, though the enemy is frightening, we need not fear. You have willed that you will triumph. You have told us. Let us take hope in that truth. This week as we go back into the world, back into our homes, our workplaces, wherever we may go, errands that bring us into contact with other people, maybe strangers, maybe old friends, people who need to hear the gospel for the first time, people that need to hear the gospel again and again and be reminded of it. May we faithfully carry the message, speaking it with our lips and living it out with our actions. Lord, would you be pleased with how we live today, with how we fight the fight of faith this week. Help us have courage to continue, to continue unashamed and unafraid. Give us unity as we do this together. God, be honored in the way we live and fight for you. Teach us how to identify the, the true enemy and not be distracted by those around us, not be distracted by fighting with our brothers and sisters or even fighting with the victims of the enemy, but seeing the war as a spiritual war, and one that is only accomplished through the word of truth. God, be, be great, be magnified in our lives, and accomplish your purpose, and advance your gospel throughout the world, through us. It's for Jesus' sake and through his name we pray. Amen.